Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of your favorite paranormal podcast called Paranormal Exposed. This is the evidence-based podcast that looks into paranormal occurrences that happen here in the United States. I'm your host, Michelle, and I am a skeptic by nature, but I really do want to be a believer. I am both intrigued by the paranormal and really open to the possibilities of what might be out there. So join me every Wednesday as I dive into a different paranormal topic and present to you what is real, what is not real, and what may just be in between. I'll present both the historical facts as well as the paranormal reports, and we will see where the two meet. So join me in exposing the paranormal. This week's episode, we are going to the state of Louisiana, and we're actually going to a suburb of New Orleans called River Ridge. This week's episode is actually going to be a little different than normal. I'm not going to be covering a specific haunted place such as a boat or a house or whatever it may be. This episode is actually going to be covering a disappearance case, which does not actually have a paranormal aspect itself, but the solving of the case does. I'm going to be diving into this specific case to provide an example of police using psychics and clairvoyance to help solve a case. What I'm going to do is present the aspects of the case, what the psychic provided to help solve the case, how she helped solve it, and if her gift does exist based on the evidence we have. Now, of course, I can't prove with just one case whether psychics and clairvoyance exist or not, but what we can do is build a good solid ground, and you know, eventually I'll probably cover another one of these cases in a future episode. This episode is going to be the disappearance of Andre Daigle. Now getting into the facts of the case. Andrew Daigle was 27 years old and him and one of his friends were both living in New Orleans, Louisiana. Andre was actually a carpenter by trade and he and his friend actually worked at doing home renovations in the New Orleans area. Which of course is definitely in need as New Orleans is a really old city comparatively in the United States. I know. For all of you living in other countries, you're laughing when I say a very old city. You know, we're not in London or anything like that. But comparatively, it is an older city, and there's lots of flooding and storms that come through. Of course, in this era, this was pre-Hurricane Katrina, so nothing of that nature, but they still got some pretty good weather. So being a carpenter and doing home renovations was very much a needed gig even at that time. Now, Andre was a generally well-liked, popular, outgoing kind of guy. On June 9th of 1987, Andre finished up his day at work, and he hopped into his pickup truck to meet a friend for dinner. They drove to a local restaurant, and he had dinner with his friend named Nick Shelley. After dinner, the two drove over to a local bar named Mitchell's Lounge, and the two wanted to have a drink and play a few games of pool. They arrived to the bar between about 10 and 10.30 p.m. The two men were enjoying the evening, and whichever way you look at it, one of them was having more luck than the other. They were playing drinks for games, and what that means is whoever lost the game of pool had to buy the next round of drinks. Nick, of course, was winning on the pool side, but Andre was winning on the female side. And what I mean for that is Andre was having to make more trips to the bar, But for him, luckily, there was a woman sitting at the bar named Selma, and she was pretty interested in Andre. Throughout the night, the two of them flirted on and off. Whenever he went up to get more drinks, they struck up another conversation. 
Now, when Andre and Nick were getting ready to leave, they made one last stop at the bar for a last road beer. And before parting, Andre introduced Thelma to his friend Nick. But Thelma must not have liked Nick very much, as she avoided eye contact with him. He didn't even really get a good look at her. The three of them discussed possibly going to another bar and whatnot, but eventually at the end of the night, they all decided to go home. But Thelma asked if she could get a ride from Andre. He agreed and decided to take Thelma home. Between 11 and 11.30 that evening, Nick left for his home in his vehicle, and Andre and Thelma left in Andre's truck. The next day, Andre's partner Joe was surprised that he didn't show up for work, as this was really unlike Andre. He wasn't someone to be flaky, so when he didn't show up at that evening, his friends and family were really concerned. And this was especially as he was actually house-sitting for one of his family members and watching their dogs, so this isn't something where he just wouldn't show up or call, say something happened. So his family immediately contacted the police, though they weren't really gung-ho to look into it. I mean, it's your typical story if you think about it. A guy at a bar gets drunk, goes home with a pretty girl. It was just the story that they had heard before. This is New Orleans. People are known to get drunk and have fun. They figured the two were enjoying each other's company, and when they were done, Andre would turn up. But he didn't. So the police had to open an official investigation into Andre's disappearance. When the police questioned locals and the people at the bar, no one seemed to know who Thelma was. No one knew if she had given her real name, where she came from, where she ended up. Nothing on her. It was just a dead end. The police at this point thought that Andre had run off with this girl. There were no signs of foul play, so things just kind of stalled out. But the family knew that Andre wouldn't just run off. Remember, he was a dependable guy. He would have told his family if he was leaving so they wouldn't worry, and to make sure that somebody was going to take care of his family member's dog. Since the police weren't putting in much effort, as, again, they believed it was just kind of a lover's tryst out there, the family took efforts into their own hands. They did a lot of searching. They questioned people. They searched the local area, seeing if they could see his truck. And they even started distributing flyers. Andre's sister, Elise McGinley, actually lived in California. And she was panicked and worried about what had happened to her brother, as again, this was totally unlike Andre. She couldn't just sit around and wait, so she decided to try a different route than the rest of her family, as she couldn't just hop on a plane and get out there. On June 13th, after Andre had been missing since the night of June 9th, Elise decided to follow a co-worker's advice. She contacted a local psychic named Rosemarie Carr to help find her brother. She didn't actually think that a psychic could help with her brother's disappearance, but she was really desperate. She had heard of psychics helping with other investigations and thought it was worth a shot. I mean, she had to find her brother. So Rosemarie was a self-proclaimed clairvoyant, medium, psychometrist, and psychic investigator. And for those who aren't familiar with these terms, I'll give you kind of a brief, broad description of each one. A clairvoyant is someone who can sense or perceive information that has or will happen, and they get this information from the spiritual realm. Now, a medium is actually someone who can communicate with the spirits themselves, not just get a sense of what's going on. Psychometrist is someone who can touch a person or an object associated with that person 
and gain information related to that person or event. Rosemarie would use these gifts to be a psychic investigator to assist in crime. Now, when Elise asked Rosemarie to help find her missing brother, Rosemarie gladly accepted, and they made an appointment to meet. Before she got to the meeting, Elise was instructed to bring a picture of Andre and a map of Louisiana, as she would need these items to use her gift of psychometry. You may wonder why she needed a map. Well, remember, this was 1987. This was before smartphones and computers. People carried maps in their car. There was no GPS. So Elise arrived at the scheduled appointment with Rosemarie, and she was skeptical. Again, she didn't expect anything to actually come from the appointment, but she was hopeful. I mean, this is her brother. He's been missing for four days. So Elise gave the picture of Andre to Rosemarie and was surprised that Rosemarie didn't look at the picture. She just placed it on the table, closed her eyes, and began concentrating while rubbing the picture of Andre. Rosemarie then began feeling a sharp pain in her head, and she stated she felt as if she was being hit repeatedly with a blunt object, and she heard a voice saying, quote, my head is killing me, end quote. She also said that she pictured a black truck with a specific-looking scratch or dent down the side, and Elise was surprised at this as Andre didn't own a black truck. He owned a white car. Though Elise was unaware that Andre had actually recently purchased a black truck. She told Elise that she saw someone in the truck that had blonde hair and seemed to hold some sort of power over Andre, but she wasn't sure what. Rosemary then focused her attention on the map Elise had brought. She had never been to Louisiana, so she was unfamiliar with the areas on the map. She began running her hand over the map, and she stated the headache returned at that point. She then had a vision of a few images. She saw a swamp, the number seven repeatedly, a sandy beach, and a long, low bridge over some sort of water. She couldn't tell if it was a lake or a river, just some sort of water. She then kept running her finger over the map until her finger passed over the name of a town called Slidell. And Slidell is a town located about 30 miles from New Orleans. When her finger ran over Slidell, Rosemary felt as though a shot of electricity had run through her hand. Rosemary was sure this is where they would find Andre, though time was of the essence. She could just feel it. So she told Elise that her family had to move quickly. So Elise immediately calls her family and tells them what Rosemary said. Andre's family was, of course, skeptical, but they said all of them immediately felt chills and they knew they had to follow the advice. So they immediately all jumped into the vehicles and headed for Slidell. I am really amazed that they took this advice, especially back at this time. I mean, people weren't really known to be really into psychics like they are today. Though, of course, they were probably desperate and sick of twiddling their thumbs after four days of him missing, and the family just stated again that they felt this was the right decision. Chris stated that Rosemarie told them that they should keep talking to Andre as well. So during the car ride, the family members were in the car telling him, Hey, Andre, we're coming. Just wait, we're almost there. On June 14th of 1987, around midnight, the family had almost reached the five-mile bridge, which leads to Slidell, 
when they spotted Andre's truck driving on the road. His truck drove right past them, and they recognized it immediately because of the scratch and dent on the side. Though when they looked, Andre wasn't in the truck. There was actually two men, but the family didn't recognize who they are. So Andre's brother, Chris, who was driving one of the vehicles, slowed down and yelled to his sister in the other car. He told her to get off this exit and find a phone immediately. He told her to call their mother and to have her call the police and tell them that they are headed east on the I-10. Now, of course, again, this is pre-cell phone, so his sister has to get off, find a payphone, call the mom, call the police. So this isn't something that's going to happen in a split second. So Chris turns the car around and starts heading after the truck on the I-10 highway. Andre's sister follows Chris's orders and exits the call for help. Now, in the meantime, Chris keeps driving, following the truck, but the men in the truck eventually realize they're being followed. And they would do different maneuvers, such as trying to get off at an exit, and then at the last minute, swerving back on the highway. Though, Chris stayed right behind him. Eventually, though, the men in Andre's truck turn off of I-10 onto Highway 11, which is a pretty dark, deserted road without much around. And Chris, at this point, is worried, as he doesn't want to lose his truck but he also knows the police are going to be looking for them in the wrong place. If you remember, his sister is going to tell the police they're on the I-10, but now they're on Highway 11. So Chris presses on anyway, as he doesn't want to lose the truck. It's the last link and the only link they have found related to Andre's disappearance at all. So if he can catch up with these men and maybe find out what happened to Andre, that's the most important thing. They keep on trucking along until the road actually dead ends. The men don't have a choice. They turn Andre's truck around, turn the lights off, and just sit there. About 50 yards from the end of the road is a bar, so Chris stops the car and his brother who's riding along with him, Nick, jumps out of the car and runs to the bar so he can call the police. The headlights of Andre's truck actually then flicker on and the two men start driving the truck slowly forward towards Andre's family's car. Chris's wife, Virginia, is terrified, and he tells her to get on the floor of the car. At that point, Chris and the other man in the car named Joey exit the car and use the car doors as shields because they're worried these men are going to open fire on them or attack them. They don't know. The men approach the car, getting closer and closer, and then all of a sudden, they floor the gas pedal and take off. They rush past Chris and all the people in the vehicle, causing Chris and the other guy to hop back in the car and start following the truck again. After driving for about five minutes, they spot a police car parked on the side of the road. I mean, what are the odds? Again, this is a dark, deserted road. And it's now about one o'clock in the morning. They hysterically start all screaming at the officer at the same time, telling him about the truck, the disappearance, everything. And the officer immediately hops into his car and takes off after the truck, followed by, of course, the other car with Andre's family in it. Now, do you feel like you're watching a movie yet? I mean, I can't imagine the fear, the adrenaline, all the other feelings these people must have had at the time. Now let's get back to the chase. They're all barreling down the road at about 100 miles an hour, though eventually, finally, the police catch up with the truck. They pull it over and arrest the two men for possession of a vehicle of a missing person. The two men caught were 21-year-old Michael Phillips and 24-year-old Charles Gervais. The two men were both petty criminals who had served some time for things like minor burglaries. 
The police booked the two men, but they were pretty certain that this is just a simple case of Grand Theft Auto. They really weren't putting too much stock in the case. The family, though, knew this was not a simple case of car theft. They realized there had to be more based on Rosemary's visions and statements. Just think, without her, they wouldn't have headed to Seidel at all and would never have spotted Andre's truck. Now, the police aren't really thinking that this is a case of anything other than Grand Theft Auto, but they still are questioning the men to see what's going on. But neither men is saying anything. So finally, they ask Philip to put his statement down on paper, and they have Gervais watching him. And Gervais thinks that Phillips is confessing to whatever the two men did. So Gervais says, hey, I want to talk to the chief of police because he doesn't want Phillips to throw him under the bus before he can get out. So what he does is he confesses to what happened to Andre. What he says is that him and Phillips murdered Andre. And you may ask why. What were their motives? Did they have a dispute? Was there money troubles? Or was there something else going on? Well, it's actually really much worse than any of those scenarios. At least those make sense. These two men stated that they killed Andre because they wanted to see if they had the guts and what it takes to kill someone. That's it. They also wanted to steal his vehicle and money to afford to buy some more guns. And poor Andre didn't know these people at all. It was just a case of wrong time and wrong place. He was a guy with a car, and really, that's all that mattered to these people. And this is where Thelma actually came into the equation. Her name was Thelma Horn, and she was actually Michael Phillips' girlfriend. Her job was to lure someone back to their place so that they could take care of him in private. Thelma, Phillips, and Gervais all three shared a two-bedroom apartment, and they were actually facing threats of eviction as well as they had an unreliable vehicle. And they figured they could solve all of these problems by killing this guy. And, you know, Phillips and Gervais could figure out if they have what it takes to kill a person. So Thelma was able to choose whoever she wanted. And when she spotted Andre, she flirted with him, had her drive him home. And she's the reason that he died. Once they arrived at Thelma's place, Thelma went upstairs. And actually, it is said that Andre passed out on the couch and fell asleep. He probably didn't mean to, but again, he'd been drinking all night at the bar, probably shouldn't have even been driving home. So what happened is he was sleeping. Phillips and Gervais were actually able to sneak up behind him where they took turns bludgeoning him repeatedly over the head with a hammer. But after they had struck him multiple times, it stated 11 times, he still was breathing. He wasn't dead. So the two didn't know what to do, so they took a wire coat hanger and attempted to strangle him with the hanger, but it broke. So they then ripped a cord from a light and strangled him to death with the cord from the light. These two men and Thelma had absolutely no regard for Andre's life. I can't imagine someone's girlfriend agreeing to help with this either. I mean, it's absolutely mind-boggling and disgusting, but... Again, if I could understand it, I'd probably be a disgusting person as well. But anyway, during the time between the disappearance and being caught, the trio had pawned Andre's belongings that he had left in the truck, and they also used Andre's truck to move items from the apartment they were being evicted from. 
and in the apartment was a light with the cord missing. Gervais provided police with information to locate Andre's remains, and Andre's body was recovered near a strip of sandy beach. It was located in the Moncox Swamp, just off Highway Exit 7. And if you think back to Rosemary's prediction, remember she saw a swamp, a sandy beach, a bridge, and the number 7. All of these things were in this location. And how had she foreseen this information if it wasn't her contacting the spiritual world? I mean, no one knew that he was dead or where his body was located when Elise visited Rosemary. Andre's body had been wrapped in curtains and hidden in the bottom of a sofa. Later, the curtains and sofa were actually found to have come from the murderer's apartment. His autopsy showed signs of him being strangled and 11 skull fractures from him being struck by a claw hammer. Now, in Rosemary's visions and feelings, she had felt pain and stated that she felt like she was being hit repeatedly by a blunt object. Could this have been her feeling Andre's pain from the assault? And Rosemary's reports had been so on point that she actually set a precedent with this case. She was put on the stand during the murder trials. And before this case, a psychic had never given testimony on a case they worked on. And at that time, psychics were just a last resort and weren't even taken seriously. One of the detectives on the case actually reported that this was the only time he could recall where there was success with a psychic. And he stated before this, he hadn't put much faith into them. Both men, of course, stood trial for the murder of Andre, and they both eventually pled guilty and were charged with first-degree murder. They also both received a life sentence in prison without the possibility of parole. Eventually, the one murderer, Gervais, began claiming the reason they killed Andre was actually not to see if they had the guts, but actually that it was an initiation into a satanic cult. He also filed a lawsuit stating that his rights were not being recognized as the prison would not allow him to practice his religion in himself, which was Satanism. So in his lawsuit, he doesn't actually state which practices they're not allowing him to do, and things kind of just fall off to the wayside. But regardless, he still murdered this poor man. Now the woman, Thelma Horn, she was also charged with first-degree murder for her assistance in the murder plot. She was eventually convicted of second-degree murder and also received a life sentence without the possibility of parole. So at least in this case, there was some justice for his murder. Now, we know the facts of the case. We know how Rosemary helped in the case. And let's really look into what she said. What I'm going to do is look at what she said put it up with the facts of the case, and see if this was the work of a woman in contact with the spirit world, or maybe just some lucky guesses. So first off, let's look at the picture that Elise gave to Rosemary. Now, remember she was surprised when Rosemary didn't even look at the picture. She just put her finger on it, was rubbing it, concentrating on the picture, and that's how she connected with Andre, correct? Well, what gets me is I haven't heard anybody else say this, but in the picture that Elise gave to Rosemary, it wasn't just Andre in the picture. 
there was a couple other individuals in the picture as Elise couldn't find a picture of just him right off the bat. So how did Rosemarie know which figure to rub over and that it just happened to be Andre? So that part gets me right off the bat is she didn't look at the picture and she was somehow able to figure out which one Andre was. Maybe it was the spirits leading her to it. I don't know. But that one was a little weird for me. Then she stated as if she felt she was being hit over the head with a blunt object repeatedly and heard a voice saying that their head was killing them. Well, again, Andre was hit over the head repeatedly with a claw hammer. He had 11 skull fractures during the ordeal. And my thoughts on this sense of pain she had is that this man had been missing for four days at this point at the time of the reading. So Rosemary knew he was missing for an extended period of time and that foul play would probably be involved. And it's safe to assume that when there's foul play at this point, when someone attacks someone to take them out, it's usually a blow to the head, right? Especially she knew this was a young man who was probably in good shape. And now a hammer is technically a blunt object. And I'm not sure if Andre was hit with the claw end at all. And if he was, it would take that blunt trauma to the head theory totally out. Also, after he'd been hit in the head, the killers tried to strangle him with not one, but two separate items. So why did Rosemary sense the hitting over the head, but not of him being strangled? This is actually what he died from, according to the killers, not from actually being hit over the head. Now, moving on, what about Rosemary picturing the black truck with the specific looking scratch or dent down the side? She pictured this and stuck with it, even after Andre's sister Elise told her that Andre actually owned a white car. Now, since she didn't know Andre had just gotten a new truck, she thought she was right. But of course, the actual conversation between Elise and Rosemary was not recorded, so I can only go with what was testified by Elise and Rosemary. Most of the reports I read stated that she knew he was in a black truck. But per Elise's testimony, Rosemary said a black truck or car. Now, black, of course, is one of the most popular vehicle colors and was at the time as well. This could have been a good assumption on the part of Rosemary as well because the most popular vehicle colors were white, black, and gray. So guessing a black car is pretty good. Also, let's now talk about the person with the long blonde hair in the car next to Andre that Rosemary pictured. She also said that person had some kind of power over Andre. You may think that this would be Selma, right? Well, no. Selma was actually a brunette, though the one killer, Michael Phillips, was a blonde, and it is said that this proves her reading as he had long blonde hair. I'm going to, of course, post pictures on social media, but I really wouldn't classify Michael Phillips as someone with long blonde hair. He actually had really dirty blonde hair. It looked almost brown, and it had curls to it, and really it just kind of fringes his face. It wasn't even past the nape of his neck. So I don't know how that could be classified as long blonde hair. But regardless, he was a blonde. She pictured a blonde. Okay. But she also pictured this person in the truck with Andre holding power over him, which doesn't really fit. Andre only drove in the car with Selma. Once he drove to her apartment, he never left alive. He was murdered in the apartment and his actual body was kept in the living room for a while. 
They actually kept him stored in the couch and turned the air conditioning on in the apartment so his body wouldn't start to decompose. The only time he was actually in the truck after that with Michael Phillips is when his body was being transported in the couch to the swamp. So it doesn't really make sense of them holding power over him. He was dead at that point. And also, I mean, picturing a blonde could be a little vague as well. I mean, you have blondes, brunettes, and I mean, what, redheads? That's it. So you got a pretty good odds, over 30% of getting it right. These things, including the blunt trauma to Andre's head, the car color, the blonde in the car, these are all smaller things that can go to the side of the skeptic or the believer. I mean, I'm just kind of trying to poke holes in things. I'm not saying any is right or wrong. You can look at either side. But let's really get into the big ticket items now. How did she know to send the family to Slidell? So Andre was in River Ridge, a suburb of New Orleans. And as soon as I look at the map of the area, again, I have never been in New Orleans. I've never looked at a map, but I pulled up the map and my eyes are immediately drawn to Lake Pontchartrain. When you look, you'll immediately see a large area called the Bayou Sauvage National Wildlife Refuge. So when you drive outside of New Orleans, going north, you will skirt around the lake. And as you keep going, you hit the bridge that takes you to Slidell, hitting the wildlife area before you cross the bridge. So if you're looking at a close area from New Orleans, seems like a pretty obvious place for a body dump at just a quick glance. Now Slidell is about an hour drive from River Ridge, and after speaking to the psychic, the Daigle family began driving to Slidell. So they didn't need to go to Slidell. They didn't even cross the bridge to get there, meaning they were actually still in New Orleans. They were about still over half an hour away from Slidell. And when they saw his truck again, they were still in New Orleans. So it seems like just kind of random luck. So then again, maybe they just needed to be driving in the direction of Slidell. I mean, regardless, they didn't make it there, but it could be. Let's go with that. And lastly, let's cover the visions Rosemary had of where they would find the body. She saw the swamp, the sandy beach, the long low bridge, and the number seven. And if you think about it, look at a map of Louisiana. Well, even what do you think of? You picture swamps and Mardi Gras, right? And most of Louisiana, there's tons of swamps. There's waterways. There's all sorts of stuff. And as far as long low bridges, again, tons of waterways everywhere. So there's tons of bridges. So it's a pretty generic statement as far as the bridge, the water, the sandy beach. Now, the number seven is actually pretty interesting, though, as the body was found off exit seven. So that's a pretty lucky guess. I mean, maybe she was thinking lucky number seven, but it's still a lot of coincidences here. She either saw something or is a really good mentalist. I mean, for any of you who watch any of the mentalist shows, I'm always amazed and I'm like, how did they do that? I don't know. And as for Rosemary, this case pushed her into quite a bit of fame. She appeared on many different television shows and talk shows. She's even been featured in many books, both fiction and nonfiction. And many also reached out to her to help on their murder cases. She actually did a couple other cases, but they're not listed online as if you want to learn about them, you have to pay to watch the shows and things like that. 
Rosemary does claim that she stayed in touch with the Daigle family throughout her life and claimed that Andre's spirit actually stayed with her and that Andre asked his family to forgive the murderers. Now, unfortunately, Rosemary Carr did pass away in 2015, but you can still look into her life as she did a lot of good work, it looks like. Now, that is the case of Andre Daigle and his murder and how Rosemary helped with solving the case. My general opinion is I'm kind of leaning more towards the skeptic side. A lot of what she said is pretty vague and could have kind of been guessed or intuited. So I'm not sure that I really see this as she actually solved the case. But, you know, again, I could see where the believers believed she would. So I can't say with 100% certainty that she did not help or have contact with the spirit world. But I would love to hear your thoughts on whether you think that Rosemary helped with the spirit world in guiding her to solve this case. Now, I'd love to hear your thoughts on whether you think Rosemary used the spirit world to help solve this case of Andre Daigle's disappearance. I'd also love to hear of any proof, facts, or photos you might have that also prove any of this. I'd also love to hear your feedback on this episode or a suggestion you may have for a future episode. So make sure you tune in every Wednesday, wherever you may tune in, and don't forget to leave a review and follow this podcast. You can also follow this podcast social media for more information, including pictures from this episode. You can follow on Facebook at Paranormal Exposed, on Instagram at The Paranormal Truth, or you can always shoot an email over to ParanormalExposedPodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next Wednesday.